0: Welcome to BioCentury This Week. I'm Jeff Cranmer, Executive Editor of BioCentury, and I'm joined by. Simone Fishburne, Editor in Chief.
1: Karen Koch Tusman, Senior Editor.
2: And Paul Bonanos, Associate Editor.
0: On today's pod, a thaw in follow on financings, protein design updates its engine, and signs of a breakthrough in a China audit deal. But first, Today's podcast is brought to you by the BioCentury Bay Helix East-West Biopharma Summit. It's scheduled for November 14th through 16th in Redwood City in the San Francisco Bay Area. U.S., European, and Asian biopharma executives and investors will be debating globalization strategies to maximize company value and patient value at the summit which will include strategic panels, company presentations, one-to-one meetings, C-level networking, and an exclusive report from our partners, McKinsey & Co. Learn more and register at biocentryeastwest.com. Well, last week we talked M&A. We saw quite a few big deals. Uh, Last Monday, we had the Pfizer takeout of global blood and that came on the heels of a big deal by Amgen and the XBI an index we follow closely here by a century is up 18% since August 1st. and since we last spoke, well we saw a lot of financings. So we talked about the Corona data last week and I don't know if that did it. Or what? But it was a big week for biotechs raising funds in the public market, and it hasn't always been easy for companies to do equity raises this year, to say the least. Paul, tell us what's been happening.
2: Sure. So we haven't had a week like this in a while. Uh, As you said, uh, there was a lot of fundraising. Yes, seven publicly traded biotechs uh, raised a total of almost $1.7 billion in follow-ons. And some of the biggest offerings were done um, on the back of recent catalysts. Um, Just to be clear, we're we're talking about offerings above $25 That's the threshold we set for the story that we published on Friday. There were a couple smaller ones too. But um, the biggest one went to Karuna Therapeutics, as you said, which had a huge week, a big percentage gain last Monday. They they were up 72% that day after reporting a phase three success in a schizophrenia study that uh, should allow them to um, give them an avenue toward approval. Um, And shares rose $100 that day from about $140 to about $241. And then they proposed a $600 million follow-on, bumped it up to $750. Demand was apparently strong. They priced at a modest discount at $215. And then shares just kept rising during the week. They finished Friday above $277. Underwriters exercised their options. So in total, Karuna raised more than $862 million. It's the biggest follow-on of 2022 thus far. People had regarded that schizophrenia readout as one of the biggest upcoming catalysts and uh, things worked out for them. So they were able to tap the markets and raise a lot of cash.
0: They weren't the only ones. Who else got out last week?
2: Well, sure, yeah. So uh, interestingly, Sarahville, another company with a program in the same class as Karuna's candidate, got a stock move on Monday too. And they were able to raise cash on the back of that as well. They raised almost 254 million, which was in line, just a little more than what they were seeking. Um, and they did a convertible senior notes deal worth another $300 million as well. There were two more companies, Syncor and Verona, that had readouts in hypertension and COPD, respectively. And both of them were able to raise upsized offerings. And then Miram, Silence, and Turns all raised cash in smaller deals. Some of them had uh, shelf, shelf registrations. But when you top them all up, the total figure is in the $1.7 billion range.
0: Yeah, and that makes August already here at August fifteenth. That makes August the best follow-on month of the year. Uh, we're well shy of last year's target, so I, I doubt we'll we'll get to those heights again. But it certainly felt like the good old days for a few minutes there. Mm-hmm. Paul, can you put it in context with um, the overall financing environment that's been uh, going on all year?
2: Sure, it's been very difficult for a few months. I mean, we we had a story uh, my colleague Stephen Hansen wrote, there was one company that even had difficulty raising, um, even with a catalyst a few months ago, it was Affamed, and he wrote it kind of as a case study of uh, of bear market financing. But um, late last week, as the, as the money was piling up, uh, I had a brief exchange with Brad Longcar, I asked his opinion. And he said, it does seem like the market for follow-ons is thawing. It's getting easier, especially for companies with catalysts, to access investors' cash. But he described it as a bit of a haves and have-nots situation, too. Uh, if, if you don't have something like a great clinical readout with a stock bump, it's still not that easy to raise money. Mm-hmm. He was of the mind that at least we're not frozen. The gears are starting to run again. And maybe down the line, it will even open up the IPO window again. But it, it doesn't seem like we're there yet.
3: So, Paul, I know you've just spoken to Brad on that. You know, I don't think people can expect it to go back to it was what it was last year. That's sort of, I don't know that that's even the metric that people are looking for. So are they looking for momentum? Are people feeling more optimistic? I ask because I'm speaking to some CEOs out there and it still seems pretty ugly. So how do you look at the data? Is this just a trickle? Uh,
2: Maybe it's a short winning streak um, that is producing, you know, kind of outsized numbers this past week. But again, if there were companies that did have catalysts and weren't even able to raise, then this seems like it's at least incrementally better than that. You know, we'll have to see. Uh, As Brad said, if you don't have great news behind you, maybe it's still going to be really difficult. I'm sure that there are plenty of CEOs out there that are still trying to be creative or looking for ways to raise. Um, at the very least, in the case of of someone like Karuna, if if the the stars align, you know the money's out there, and this is a sign that you can raise plenty of money. Yes.
0: And Brad Longcar, of course, the CEO of Longcar Investments, uh, a buy sider who uh, closely watches uh, not only the U.S. but the China markets as well. Yeah, and to your point, Simone, the the IPO market still uh, is not open for business. We saw Disk Medicine last week found its path to NASDAQ, probably not the way it might have imagined a year ago when it raised a $90 million crossover round led by Orbamed. We saw them uh, enter a reverse merger with Gemini Therapeutics last week. Now it will get them to NASDAQ. They do have commitments from a syndicate led by Access Biotechnology for about a $50 million financing, and that will bring this merged company's cash to $175 million. The syndicate backing it includes Orbamed, Atlas, 5AM, Nova Holdings, Erics, and a few others. All right, let's turn to Karen. For a look at what's new in computational protein design now Karen you wrote a big story on the topic a few years back what's changed since what's new
1: well um a couple of years ago and I think in 2019 I had the pleasure of meeting with David Baker and uh, meeting his lab one of the drivers of the computational protein design de novo protein design uh, revolution they've got a bunch of spinouts out of their Institute for Protein Design at University of Washington. And the core technology that was really the focus for the protein design they were doing then um, was called Rosetta. This is a platform that the Baker Lab started and has been sort of a, a community of innovation for several years, I think even decades. And it's based on the premise that proteins fold to their lowest energy state. And so it does physical modeling of how many hydrogen bonds are there, uh, those types of calculations based on known physical parameters to come up with predictions of how to get, if you want a desired protein structure, what's the sequence to to get you there? And that was what was driving the uh, de novo protein design behind companies like Neolucan, for example, which has an IL-2, IL-15 mimetic. And since even just 2019, there's been a major overhaul kind of under the hood of this field. And that is the embrace of deep learning methods as opposed to the uh, physical-based modeling. And so rather than saying, okay, we know the rules about what hydrogen bonds do and hydrophobic residues, and we're just going to have the computer crunch all of that and find the lowest energy state. Now we're saying here we're going to show this model um, hundreds of thousands of structures and sequences and let it come up with its own interpretations of what the relationship between sequence and structure is. And that's leading to a more powerful, faster ability to design proteins to come up with sequences that give you the the structure of choice. And so that's been a big overhaul in the space over the last couple of years
3: um obviously the deep mind results have got tongues wagging again and it is a, really an old question we're old is about 5 to 10 years you could argue but whatever um regarding how much computational analysis can really move the needle and i think the long standing question has always been can it come up with something that people wouldn't have come up with anyway, rather than can it just get there faster of what people would have done? So how does this play
1: into that whole discussion? Yeah, it's interesting. The, the DeepMind protein structure prediction, we've been hearing a lot of news around that over the last year or two. Um, and that's because the DeepMind unit of Alphabet Inc. in 2020 came up with a way to predict Protein structure based on amino acid sequence that far surpassed previous methods before it. David Baker's lab came up with a similar method that that kind of caught up to it uh, shortly thereafter. And that advance, you know, what we spoke uh, at Biosentry, we spoke with companies doing structure-based drug design at the time that those advances were coming out, and uh, they were saying what this does is it it can widen the funnel of what are the Targets you can go after with structure based methods. Because basically, the idea is maybe you find a uh, genomic sequence in genomic studies that seems important for disease and it's giving you a protein, but you don't know what that protein looks like. Or maybe a viral sequence for a viral protein, you want to have a quick sense of what uh, that structure is like using AlphaFold, um, DeepMind's method you can now come up with these quick pictures of what the structure is and go from there. So that's a, a jump in the starting point. But as everyone knows, the sort of real bottlenecks in drug discovery are further downstream. Did you pick the right target? Is you know Does it show what you wanna see in assays and of course in people? What's interesting about the protein structure prediction world is that it's actually kind of the inverse of the protein design world. David Baker put this really well when I spoke with him. Uh, He says, in the prediction problem, you know the sequence of amino acids, but you don't know the structure. And in protein design, the problem is to find the sequence that folds into a desired structure. So they're kind of inverse um, problems and the advances on one end, the structure prediction have been radiating out into the advances on the other end of protein design. And to your point about, you know, the difference between, is this computers doing things that humans can do just faster versus doing something totally new? I think that the Rosetta physical-based modeling that was being done before, that falls squarely into the realm of, here's some calculations based on rules that humans know. Of course, they're happening at a scale that humans would find hard to do, but but they are sort of fundamentally something that humans can wrap their minds around. I think the deep learning-based methods that are driving structure prediction and protein design now are more in the realm of computers coming up with connections that the human mind can't wrap their minds around. I think Baker was saying 50 to 90 million parameters that it's uh, using to come up with these predictions. So I think we are edging toward that higher level machine learning case.
0: Karen, I'd be interested in hearing what companies you're watching.
1: So I mentioned neoleukin before. They've got a cytokine mimetic that shares less than 15% sequence identity with endogenous IL-2, but it looks uh, like endogenous IL-2, just kind of smaller. They showed me a structure of it once. It was really cool. And uh, what's interesting is that in their latest earnings call, they were talking about how they are switching to these deep learning-based methods. So it's something that isn't just in the realm of the academic labs, the companies are really starting to adopt this. And they have their program in the clinic and plan to disclose interim data in 2023. Uh, And of course, I would be remiss if I didn't mention um, Generate Biomedicines, which raised, I believe, one of the largest private rounds last year. And their foundational thesis is around deep learning-based protein design. Um, They're a flagship pioneering-founded company, and they are expanding really quickly, so look to see some interesting stuff coming out of them as well.
0: Excellent, excellent wrap-up, and if you want to dig deeper into this, Karen's story is on biocentury.com, as well as Paul's roundup of the follow-on financing environment. Let's turn quickly to auditing, everyone's favorite topic. Get out your your green eye shades, or is, or is that a different department? I keep stuff, But plans by four Chinese government-owned companies late last week to delist from the New York Stock Exchange could signal that a deal between the U.S. SEC and its Chinese counterpart on cross-border audits could be nearly in hand. Now, these companies, um, insurance companies, a petroleum company, a few others, nothing in biopharma, their plans to voluntarily delist, which were revealed in SEC filings Friday, it would remove a key concern by Beijing that the US would pick companies too sensitive to inspect during trial audit inspections. Now, Brad Longcar and Kyle Sullivan, who's a VP in the Albright Stonebridge Group's China practice, both saw this move as a a positive sign that these long-running negotiations between Beijing and Washington over this matter could be reaching a positive conclusion soon. Uh, it's a far cry from where we were back in March, when the SEC surprised quite a few investors by releasing a preliminary list of foreign companies that use auditors that the U.S. Public Company Accounting Oversight Board cannot inspect. That list included a few prominent biotechs, Beijing, HutchMed, and ZyLab. Stocks tumbled a bit. And we also saw uh, shortly thereafter in May, a top SEC executive warned that significant issues remained for the SEC and its China counterpart to reach a deal that would ensure U.S.-listed Chinese companies are compliant with U.S. auditing rules. Now, we've seen a few of these companies Beijing, Hutchmed, Zai, they've hired US auditors. I spoke with Josh Smiley, Zai's new COO last week, and he said that investors, at least their investors are starting to hear their message that Zai's on top of the matter, delisting's not a concern, Nasdaq is a huge focus for the company, and so it's uh move quickly to address any of these concerns.
1: Jeff it looks like The field is becoming a bit clearer, but are there any sticking points that remain?
0: Yeah. So Kyle Sullivan said uh, he thought some other sticking points holding up a deal uh, were disagreements over redacted information, but he he says he's seen some progress on that front as well. He expects a deal to be announced soon. Thanks for tuning into this week's BioCentury podcast. All of our podcasts are available on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, and Google. Kendall Square Orchestra provides the music for our podcasts. The group connects science and technology professionals and other members of the greater Boston community to collaborate, innovate, and inspire through music while supporting causes related to healthcare and education.